Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats this morning. Amen. Thank you for that. Welcome. That was so much, Kelly. Thank you so much for, for that welcome. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, I go by Ant. I serve as a pastor here at, uh, at Midtown Two Notch. If you're a guest, thank you so much for joining us uh, as we're getting started in a new sermon series as we'll be working our way through the book of Colossians. Uh, I greatly enjoy the times when we uh, get to just work our way through a book and kind of take our time and get into uh, what the Lord has for us uh, through, through this sermon series. So, uh, just to kind of get you situated to know what we'll be focusing on throughout this book uh, of Colossians. So last week, obviously, we talked about our resurrected Lord, the fact that our Lord is not dead. He is alive. He still lives today and he is still transforming us and making us more and more like him. Amen. And I believe that's great for us to celebrate like we did last week. And that's great for us to shout about. We also need a measure of understanding as to what it looks like to truly follow this resurrected Lord. We need to know from his word, how, how do we follow him? What does it look like for us to be different from those who are around us because our savior is alive? And we'll be focusing on some of what that looks like for the next 10 weeks or so as we work through this book of Colossians. Today, we'll be looking to, to gain a, a bit of a found, foundational understanding of the book as we also get into some of the main points uh, from this passage as well. Let's go ahead and get started. I'll just read verses one through four to get us going today. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So as we see in the first verses of this book, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul. It looks like he has uh, the brother Timothy with him, who was often with him in his travels and ministry, and even as he's writing to the different churches. And he just lets them know that when I pray for you, I always give thanks to God for you. He says, ever since he heard of their faith in Christ and their love for the saints, he has heard about their faith and love. Word has gotten to, the, gotten to him about their faith and their love. This is a good thing. They're doing well, at least to some degree, in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the way that they love all of the saints. And then Paul goes on to show us why they have this faith and this love, uh, why this is in them. Verse five, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So before we break down the passage, I want to go ahead and give you our first point for the day. The first point is the message of Christ transforms our hearts. The message of Christ transforms our hearts. This message that Jesus is ushering in his kingdom that will bring salvation by doing away with sin and suffering and death for all who place faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ as savior. That message, when it is proclaimed, when it is communicated, when it is understood, when it is believed and when it is embraced, it brings along with it transformation. It is empowered by the spirit of God to transform people to bear fruit in our lives individually and communally and collectively as the body of Christ. 
When the word of God is proclaimed faithfully, God does things that we can't always see and discern in the moment. God in his divine plan, he has determined that he is going to use the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus to transform us and grow his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that every time that his, his message is proclaimed or his truth is proclaimed that people will turn from sin and follow Christ. But I am saying that oftentimes that is exactly what happens, that this is the method that he uses. So I want us to look at, be reminded of what we saw in verse five, right after talking about their love and their faith. He says that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, since their faith and their eternal heavenly dwelling has produced faith and love in them. He goes on to say, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He's saying the word of truth or the gospel that is doing work in you is also bearing fruit and increasing throughout the whole world, the apostle says. He's saying the Colossian church is not a special case. He's saying this happens everywhere. This is what God does. And then we see in verse seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. I imagine that for Paul, as he is used to, as he's accustomed to traveling from place to place, starting churches through preaching the good news of Jesus, I imagine that as he's writing this letter to the Colossian church, maybe even more than usual, he is very aware of the fact that the gospel message is what produces fruit, because this is one of the churches that he did not start. This is one of the churches that he did not plant. His, the, the fellow servant who, who many people believe may, might have heard of the gospel from the apostle Paul in Ephesus, he went to Colossae and, and preached the word of God. People came to faith, and now we have the Colossian church. This, this letter, the very existence of the Colossian church reminds us that when God works through us to save people, the, the determining factor is the message, not the messenger. I'll say that again. This letter, the very existence of the Colossian church, it reminds us that when God works through us to save people, the determining factor is the message and not the messenger. I'm reminded of Romans chapter one, verse 16, where it reads, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. That's a, that's a big statement the Apostle Paul just said. I'll read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation Amen. to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's saying that the gospel message, when it is communicated, believed, and trusted in, when it is embraced, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, God himself, to save us. And it's important to know that when the Bible talks about salvation, it doesn't only refer to it in the past tense. Uh, a few times, specifically in the book of 1 Corinthians, also in the book of Acts, the, when the Apostle Paul is talking about the salvation of God, it uses the, the phrase, we are being saved. Obviously, when we first became a believer, we, we were saved past tense. We were justified. We were, we were given new life in Christ. That's obviously true. Also, the Bible refers to our salvation being something progressive as well. Sanctification is the, the, the seminary term, if you would, to refer to God continuing to free us from the power of sin or the power or the grip that sin has over us. 
When we first became saved, we were justified in Christ and set free from the penalty of sin. And as we continue to grow and mature in Christ, he saves us from the power of sin progressively as we grow in our faith in Christ Jesus. So when we say that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, what what I'm saying is, yes, it is what we first place faith in to become believers, but it is what we continue to grow and understand and learn and embrace and continues to affect every area of our lives. And that's what we see happening in the Colossian church. Because the words that, that Paul uses when he, talks about, when he talks about thanking God for their faith and for their love for all the saints, he doesn't address all the churches that way. He doesn't always start with something that commends them or commends how they live or, or what they believe in or, or how they're interacting together as a church. But it seems that the Colossian church, they have placed faith in the gospel and God has continued to use it to sanctify them and make them more and more like Christ in their love for each other and growing them in their faith in Christ as well. Their, their, their faith and their love is very commendable. So the first point that the apostle Paul makes here is that the message of Christ, it, it transforms our hearts. But it doesn't just stop there. Point number two for us today is that the message of Christ informs our minds. The message of Christ both transforms our hearts and it informs our minds. We'll read about that in verses 9 through 11. This is what the apostle writes. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. If you want to bear fruit in every good work, hear me on this, having faith and love by themselves is not enough. If you want to grow in producing the kind of fruit that God desires for you to have, having faith and love is not enough. Faith and love are huge and essential and massively important. And that's why the Apostle Paul commends them and thanks God for the faith and love that they have. But good intentions alone are not enough. Knowing that Jesus died for your sins and that you'll be saved if you place faith in him is great. But God wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will is the term the Apostle Paul uses. He wants you to be filled with all spiritual, not man-centered wisdom and understanding, but all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants you to be ever increasing in the knowledge of God so that you can bear fruit in every good work. Now, this was very pertinent for the Apostle Paul to communicate to the Colossian church. One of the things that I believe will help us to, to kind of understand what some of the New Testament churches were dealing with is the fact that the Roman Empire... Was the, was, the, was the world power by far at this time. And no, no other kingdom or empire was even close at this time. And one of the things they did to help keep their empire connected was they built the first road system and road structure that, that would connect their empire together. Before then, traveling, if you're familiar with, with passages in the Old Testament when uh, God's people get sitting in the exile and God is like, I'll be with you, I'll comfort you. When you're passing over the rivers and everything, I'll be there with you, I'll protect you. Because oftentimes traveling long distances was seen as a very dangerous thing because there was no road system that connected the different parts of the world. Rome created that to keep their, keep their empire connected. But what that also did was it caused people of different cultures and different faiths where they were previously a lot more separate from each other to begin to be able to have more access to each other. 
So you will find people now beginning to, to hear new thoughts, new beliefs, new religious ideas. And the same thing was true for the church here at Colossae. The way that the road structures were set up and, and the way they were built, I believe it kind of functions similar to the way that social media functions for us today. Well, we have so much more access to what people think, what people believe today because of social media. It's very easy for anybody to just pull out their phone and put any thought or idea or belief that they have and, and give you access to it. This is similar on a lesser degree to what the early church and what people in general at this time were dealing with as they were beginning to, to hear and for, and to, for some begin to believe a lot of the other thoughts and belief systems and worldviews and perspectives that they were now exposed to. And part of the way that Paul addresses that in this letter is by sharing that his prayer for them is that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they could bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. He knew that they were going to need a depth of knowledge and wisdom and understanding about the, what the will of God is if they're going to be able to discern what is okay and what is not okay. And you need the exact same thing because you also have access to many thoughts, to many beliefs. I, I would say it is hard to move throughout our world today without being bombarded with so many of the different thoughts and beliefs and people trying to push their beliefs and ideas and perspectives and worldviews on us. They're hearing so many different views and religious beliefs and so many arguments about God from so many different places that they need to be doing what they can do to make sure they're always increasing in the knowledge of God. And you do too. And you need to continue to be intentional about making sure you're always increasing in the knowledge of God. You're not going to be able to know everything. You don't have the power to do that, but you do have the power to continue to grow and increase in the knowledge of God. You can always be growing in your knowledge. You can remain committed to learning about God so you can discern his will based on what you know from God's word and not just what you hear somebody on YouTube say that sounds smart. As Christians, we need to carefully examine our beliefs to make sure they line up with the Bible. Syncretism is always at your doorstep. It might be in your house, but it's at least always at your doorstep. We need to make sure we're not being so influenced by those around us that we're taking belief that beliefs that Christ is opposed to and trying to add them into our lives. Rhetorical question for you is the way that you view politics is the way that you view sexuality and gender and social issues founded more on ideas and beliefs that you've heard from people? Or is it based more on the word of God? Or is it based more on the word of God? You need to be intentional about growing in an understanding of God's word. I want to give some recommendations on what I would, what I would have you do or what I would say is, will be beneficial for you to do. Uh, the first recommendation I would say is this. Don't miss a sermon. If you're committed to growing in your knowledge of God, don't miss a sermon. If you believe and here at Midtown Tunach, or if at some point God has you somewhere else, if God has entrusted you to a faithful Bible preaching church, my recommendation to you will be not to miss a sermon. If God has blessed you with that in your life, my recommendation to you would be don't miss. And even if you can't be here, we got, we got iTunes, we got Spotify, we on YouTube, we on the website. Very much 
wanting to make sure that you have access to the consistent preaching of God's word. Not, not because, and, and let me say this, not because I want you to hear my voice. And let me, and let me just say this because I haven't said this in a while and some of y'all need to hear this because you haven't heard me say it. I hope you are not putting all of your hope in knowing God and growing in the knowledge of God in me. I hope you never at any point in time put all of your hope in growing as a Christian and following Christ in a preacher. I hope that you are taking the, the, the fact that God wants you to grow in the knowledge of him. I hope that you are taking that. And because of that, you're taking ownership of it and saying, I'm going to be doing what I can do. I want to study. I want to read. I want to learn. I want to research on my own so that I can always be growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I believe as much as I know how that I come and preach the Bible as faithfully as I know how to do it. But I know that I don't perfectly understand everything that I teach them. No person does. Do not put your faith in people. Put your faith in God. Take your relationship with him by the horns. Take initiative and be intentional about growing in the knowledge of God on your own. This is important. Also, I recommend for people to get a study Bible. I would say the my favorite one probably is the ESV, but I rock with that NIV Zondervan study Bible as well. I rock with that from time to time. I'll keep that one on the desk a little bit as well. Uh, some of some of us um, may not know how to study the Bible. Maybe you're intimidated. Uh, one of the things that we do as a church in our life groups, uh, you may have noticed in, a, in the part of our life group that is our uh, sermon discussion and Bible studies, we generally have the same three questions in the Bible study part of it every single week. The goal of that is specifically for people who maybe don't have a Bible study method that they're used to or that they use. And so we ask those same three questions because those are questions that you can actually ask the text or ask the Bible or ask God to give you insight into every time you approach the Bible. Why? Because we have a desire for you to be able to study the Bible on your own time. Studying the Bible with other people is great. It's my favorite way to study the Bible, to be honest with you. But also we desire for you to be able to know how to open up the Bible and study. And hopefully as we study it together as a group in our life groups, we're all growing in our understanding standing in our knowledge of who God is. Also something that I recommend that my wife uses a lot, uh, the resource, write this down if you're looking to grow in your understanding of the Bible. It's called thebiblerecap.com. Now, the way that I study the Bible is a little bit different from the way they do it. So I don't utilize it a lot myself. But I tell you what, like my wife be waking me up with that audio Bible that she be listening to in the morning. I'm like, oh, she in Hebrews this morning. I know, I know that verse. That's a Hebrews verse. She in First Corinthians this morning. And what, so what it does is basically uh, it syncs up the, the audio Bible in the Bible app that many of us have. Uh, and then she just does a podcast. that I think it's like seven to 10 minutes oftentimes that just gives you some amount of explanation of the highlights or the main points of that. And I highly recommend it, um, if, especially if you're looking for a story in place uh, as well. Also, I recommend if you're struggling to be consistent in, in spending time in God's word, I'd want to encourage you and recommend to you to focus more on consistency than duration. Let me say that again. My recommendation to you will be to focus more on consistency than your duration, than the time duration that you're spending. Five to 10 minutes every day is better than 30 minutes every other week. Five to 10 minutes every day is better than 30 minutes every other week. <laughs> I would also say, I would also say that for many of us, be, being faithful in, in pursuing greater levels of understanding and spiritual wisdom and the knowledge of God looks like us getting good at getting back on the wagon. 
for, for most of us, it likely won't be, we never fall off the wagon, but, but I would say for faithfulness sake, if you want to be faithful, be good at getting back on the wagon. You recognize it's been a few days off. Okay. I'm trying to get good at continuing to get back on the wagon, to get back in my word. Let me get five minutes a day. If nothing else in the word of God, again, I emphasize consistency over duration. So one of the ways that we see that he leads us away from this syncretism is the practice of adopting beliefs that are against the person and work of Christ into their lives is by sharing with them his prayer requests for their church, that they be, that they combine knowledge, wisdom, and understanding with their faith and love. That he is communicating with them. Yes, you have faith. Yes, you have love. My prayer is that you'll be filled with knowledge as well. Faith and love are, are obviously essential, but let us continue to pursue knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Another way that he will lead them away from adding foreign beliefs into their faith in Christ is by sharing with them who they are in Christ and what is true of them now that they are in fact in Christ. Let's read verses 12 through verse 14. It says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first point was the message of Christ transformed our hearts. The second one was the message of Christ informs our hearts. Our third point for today is the message of Christ transfers our citizenship. The message of Christ transfers our citizenship. Followers of Jesus, when you become a Christian, you did not just ascribe to a new set of beliefs. You didn't just ascribe to, you didn't just make a decision to benefit your life. You didn't just decide to get it right this time. No, but God, through his great power, he took you out of the domain of darkness. That word domain means the power, the rule, and the reign of sin. And he has now put you into his kingdom. And your life now as a Christian is largely about learning to live out this new reality that is now true about you. Maturity as a Christian looks like you now learning, what does it look like for me to now live in a way that embraces the fact that I'm in a new kingdom and I'm no longer under the domain and reign and power of sin. As I said earlier, Christ's death and resurrection doesn't just free you from the penalty of your sin. He also freed you from the power of sin by transferring you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you're going to successfully wage war against this syncretism, as I said earlier, it is great to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that we can discern what is God's will and what's God's will. That's very important. If we're going to be on guard against syncretism in our faith and in our lives, that's essential. That's great. We need that. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times the syncretism is not purely a matter of understanding. A lot of the times when we embrace maybe ways of living or ways of thinking or beliefs or worldviews, it's not just a result of misunderstanding. Oftentimes we embrace things that we know God doesn't want us to embrace because we're still desiring to hold on to the things that God is trying to save us from. And here the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we're a part of a different kingdom now. He's reminding us that those ways of living are the beliefs and practices of the kingdom or the domain of darkness. And now you have been transferred out of that. You've been redeemed out of that into the kingdom of God. Amen. 
And what the Apostle Paul, I believe, is desiring for the Colossians to, to glean from this is say, hey, no, no, no. Leave those practices in that domain, in that kingdom. Leave those beliefs there. Those beliefs do not have place in the kingdom of God. He's saying that's not who you are anymore. Don't try to bring beliefs and practices from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. You have been delivered from that. That's not who you are anymore. Family. I know I brought this up a little bit earlier. I get nervous sometimes when I hear Christians talk about some of the controversial or, or hot button or hot topic issues of our day. Because a lot of the times when I hear us talk, it's not just where we land, because on a lot of issues, on a lot of political issues, a lot of social issues, you got Christians landing in different places. And I think that's fine oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes I think that's fine. But my problem is and my concern and my worry lies is when I hear Christians talk about why they believe what they believe, why they land where they land. And it's like, oh, that's the same thing that people don't follow Christ. That's their reasoning. That's why they believe what they believe. And it's caused me to worry. It's like, I believe oftentimes we have been more discipled by the world than we've been discipled by the word. And the result of it is syncretism within the church. The result of it is kingdom citizens embracing beliefs and practices and worldviews of the kingdom of darkness, the very thing that God has come to free us from. The syncretism, yes, oftentimes we do blend in, in, in opposing beliefs with our belief in Christ because we lack knowledge and understanding and wisdom and that kind of thing. That does happen. That does happen. But sometimes, as the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of 2 Timothy, that we want to have teachers around us that scratch our, our itching ears. That we want to hear people say the things that we want them to say. So that we can justify our believing the things that we want to believe that oftentimes the reason for the syncretism, the reason for bringing in other false beliefs and opposing beliefs into Christianity is actually an issue of we have, it's more of an issue of desire than an issue of understanding. Christian, do you not know that some of the beliefs that, that some of the beliefs that others have that sound good to your ears and make you feel good are the very things that Christ came to deliver you from? Christian, do you not know that a part of placing faith in Christ is trusting that being in his kingdom and doing his will is better than doing your own will and following yourself? Christian, your king, I just want to remind you of our king real quick. Christian, your king, he formulated a plan before time began to make you his own. He left the comforts of heaven to walk among us. He entered into the pain and suffering of this broken and fallen world when he didn't have to do so. He is the most powerful being of the universe, but allowed himself to be beaten and tortured by those that he created so that we could be saved and delivered. He suffered death so that you could know true and eternal life. He rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. Christian, your king is trustworthy and he is enough. Amen. Your king is trustworthy and he is enough. And when I say he's enough, what I'm saying to you is he is enough on his own without you bringing other things from other beliefs that are in opposition to him into your faith and worship of him. Amen. He is enough and his kingdom and his reign and his rule and the boundaries and the guidelines and the direction that he gives us is enough for you. It is enough for us because of what he has done for us. You can trust that the king that does that, who comes and dies for us, you can trust him and you can trust that what he says is best is actually best. You can trust that his will is what is best. 
You can trust that whatever he says is the right way to live in his kingdom is in fact the right way to live. You can trust that even when you don't understand it, he knows what is better, what is best, and he knows better than you do and he knows better than everyone else. We have a trustworthy king. We have a savior who is worthy of following, who has proven to us his love for us. And one of the biggest themes, and especially I can't wait to be in the pulpit next week to hit this, this passage that so exalts Christ. And a large part of the way that the apostle Paul helps battle the syncretism is by helping the Colossian church to see how Christ is actually better than anything else. And he's sufficient all on his own. And we don't need to add anything to our faith. That what he gives us, what he calls us to trust in and believe in is enough for us. And we need to remember him and what he has done for us that we might continue to grow in trusting him as citizens in his kingdom. Christ knew that we need to remember him and his sacrifice. So the night before he was taken away to be crucified, he instituted communion and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He knew we would need reminders of his death. He knew we would need reminders of his sacrifice. He knew we would need reminders of what he has done for us if we're going to faithfully live in the way he's called us to live and bear fruit the way he has called us to bear fruit. So in just a few moments, we'll partake in communion uh, alongside each other as a way, or together, I should say, as a way of remembering our King, remembering our Savior and everything that he has done for us. I'll pray for us and we'll open up the communion table. Father.